Last night, Democrat John Fetterman faced off with Republican Dr. Oz in the first and only debate for one of the most important Senate races in the country. And things did not go great for John Fetterman. As Lieutenant Governor, you're running for a seat that could decide the balance of power in Washington. What qualifies you to be a U.S. Senator? You have 60 seconds. Hi, good night, everybody. I'm running to serve Pennsylvania. He's running to use Pennsylvania. Not a great way to start. And Fetterman's performance only went downhill from there. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Good night. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday is from Stone Cold's Beer Cooler, who says, I've got the eye of the Pfizer, says Katy Perry. Now, I'm not allowed, according to the rules of uh, several of the big social media giants, I'm not allowed to suggest that the uh, COVID vaccines would cause people's faces to go all kooky and crazy and, and freeze up and become paralyzed. Even though the NIH, the National Institutes of Health, have, have uh, done studies to this effect. Uh, I, I, would, I would not suggest that. I'm just singing a catchy little lyric that one of the viewers of this show happened to send in. Really catchy, though. Really interesting. Really incisive, you might even say. That's probably a very smart person. Really a very employable person, probably, who wrote that. When you want to find employable people, you've got to check out ZipRecruiter. Right now, head on over to ZipRecruiter.com slash Knowles. The midterm elections are upon us. I hope you are ready to vote because all 435 seats in the House of Representatives and 35 seats in the Senate are up for grabs. Now, of course, we need to fill those roles with the most qualified people, which is not an easy task. Fortunately, not every role has to be that difficult to fill, especially if you're hiring for your business, thanks to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter does the work for you, and right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Knowles. How does ZipRecruiter make hiring faster and easier? First, when you post your job on ZipRecruiter, it uses powerful technology to find and match the right candidates up with your job and sends them to you. Then you can easily review these recommended candidates and invite your top choices to apply. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. If you want a better way to find great people for your team, try ZipRecruiter.com slash Knowles. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash K-N-O-W-L-E-S. ZipRecruiter.com slash K-N-O-W-L-E-S. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. I knew that John Fetterman was in bad shape. He was never the sharpest tool in the shed. He's always had extremely radical, terrible ideas for government for his entire political career. He's never uh, held a, a real productive job outside of the government in his life. He has been uh, on his parents' uh, dole, basically, uh, since he was a little kid. E even in recent years, he received an allowance of $50,000 plus per year to subsidize his political meanderings. Uh, and he said that if he had a magic wand, he would wave it. And the first thing he would do is free mur murderers from prison. So the guy was always a complete disaster. Then right around the time of his election uh, to become the, the Democrat nominee during the primaries, he had a stroke. And his campaign has consistently downplayed how bad the stroke was and tried to pretend that he's had this amazing recovery. Now, I never believed any of that. I always knew John Fetterman was in pretty bad shape. I had no idea that he was in this 
bad of shape. Uh, uh, so we've got, uh, I'll give you a, a few of the highlights here. There's no reason to go through the whole debate. I, I actually can't even watch the whole debate. It just, you feel, you actually feel bad for the guy. You really want to, the first feeling you have is, I really don't want this guy in the U.S. Senate. But the second feeling you have is, like, this guy needs to be in a bed somewhere, just recovering. So he's asked, first question, okay, uh, Mr. Fetterman, you have previously said that you oppose fracking. Now, as the race gets close in the general election, you say you support fracking. Which is it? Here's his answer. Mr. Oz, I do want to clarify something. You're saying tonight that you support fracking, that you've always supported fracking. But there is that 2018 interview that you said, quote, I don't support fracking at all. So how do you square the two? Uh, I, I, I do support fracking, and I don't, I don't, I support fracking, and I stand, and I do support fracking. That's, in his defense, that's probably the best answer he could possibly give, because there, there is no explanation. He has been consistent in his entire career. He said, we actually, have, we have the clips of it. It's much worse even than the moderator suggested. John Fetterman, if he has been consistent on anything in his career, it's how much he opposes fracking. Uh, I've, I've always supported fracking. I don't support fracking uh, at all, and I never have. Um, yeah, I called for a moratorium on fracking. There's no such thing as a green fracker. I'm not pro-fracking. 2016 fracking moratorium pledge that Fetterman signed for an environmental watchdog group, as well as a 2016 tweet he sent while running for U.S. Senate. I don't uh, support fracking. I, I think it's something that has to eventually go away, uh, and I would like to see it you know, transition out. So even, you can't really blame this on the stroke or anything like that. This was a, a very cynical political decision to lie by Fetterman's campaign. And what's really sad about this on the debate stage is even while the campaign genius strategists there are saying, okay, we're going to lie and we're going to completely flip your position on fracking to get you through the general election, then you can go back to your old one. Then he goes on stage and this man who just is not mentally present it would, it would take a good politician a lot of skill to be able to jujitsu that particular flip-flop. But for someone whose brain isn't working, it's just not possible. Then Fetterman was asked about certain tax problems. Here's his answer. Mr. Fetterman, I will allow a 15-second rebuttal. He has specifically said you have not paid your taxes and that you want to raise taxes on Americans. How do you respond? Uh, absolutely. The Oz rule, of course, he's lying. It was helping two students 17 years ago to help them you know, buy their own homes. They, they didn't pay the bills and it got her paid. And it has never been an issue in, in any of the campaign before. It was all about nonprofit. I don't even know how to respond to that. It's just completely incoherent gibberish. Uh, again, really, really sad stuff. And then uh, I thought actually the saddest moment of the entire night was not uh, one of the moments when Fetterman was asked to give an answer, but when Dr. Oz was giving an answer and then Fetterman just burst out out of nowhere with some completely unrelated comment. Ability of states to do what they wish to do. The abortion decision should be left up to states, and specifically when John Fetterman You roll wants, with Doug Mastriano. John, you John, moment, John you'll have your turn, John. One moment, Mr. Fetterman. So, 
Oh, man. So Dr. Oz is answering a question about abortion and where he thinks the abortion issue should be decided at the federal level or at the state level and kind of what his views are on abortion, which are actually quite confusing. So it's a good question to ask Dr. Oz. And then just out of nowhere, Fetterman says, you roll with Mastriano, who's the, he's the Republican nominee for governor of Pennsylvania. We interviewed him on this show yesterday. Just very sad stuff. I know a number of stroke victims. I suspect many of you know or have at least met stroke victims. Fetterman, I'm not saying Fetterman is the worst off stroke victim I've ever met, but he's definitely in the bottom 50% in terms of people who have made a recovery. I'm just saying this anecdotally of, of people I know who have suffered from the same thing that this guy's suffered from. This guy is in terrible, terrible shape. And so I think, a lot, I mean, this was the number one trend on Twitter this morning was stroke. You know, this is really shocking, even to people who have followed this race pretty closely, like those of you listening to the show, I suspect. This is really, really bad stuff. So people are saying, well, he's not fit to do the job of a senator. And on that point, I'm actually not so sure. <laughs> and I'm not even making a joke about how senators' brains don't function properly. That's not the joke I'm making. The, the point I'm making is that the job of a senator is not what it used to be. If John Fetterman were running for the Senate 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 150 years ago, then I would say absolutely there's no way this guy is up to the job of a senator because senators used to have a lot of power. Senators used to have a lot of responsibility. The individual senators used to matter quite a lot. Over the last 100 years, a lot of that power has been taken away. A lot of that power has been usurped by the federal bureaucracy. Senators don't really make all that many laws anymore. The foreign policy, which senators used to have a fair amount of say over because they had the power to ratify treaties and and declare war. A lot of that has been usurped again by the executive branch. So it doesn't even really matter so much there. And then the parties have become so deeply entrenched in in their own camps at this point. They've they've become so polarized that very often the the individual senators don't really matter. Our our system is moving more toward a parliamentary type system where the individuals aren't as important as just an R or a D next to somebody's name to go in line with the caucus. So in terms of that responsibility, John Fetterman's probably perfectly qualified to be a senator. Not according to the letter of the Constitution, not according to the traditional role of a senator, but if he's just there to be the 51st vote for Chuck Schumer, I guess he could do that. He's not going to know what room he's in or what bill he's voting on, but his his staff can lift up his arm and have him sign something or push a button. They can do that very, very easily. And so I suspect a lot of Democrats in Pennsylvania are going to think that. I don't think the debate last night changed one Democrat vote in Pennsylvania. And I don't think it changed one Republican vote necessarily, except for the the hardcore conservatives who were so skeptical of Oz because he's fairly liberal and they were maybe considering, okay, should I not vote for Oz? You look at that guy, you say, goodness gracious, he's, he's just so bad off. Maybe uh, maybe now I'm more inclined for, for uh, Dr. Oz. The people that this will have affected are those undecided voters, are the people who are not firmly partisan and who don't vote simply on 
fracking, abortion, immigration, you know, just a handful of issues where they've got really clear views. There, there is a huge portion of the American electorate which does not pay super close attention to politics, like those of you listening to, to this show right now, who don't have a particularly systematic view of, of looking at politics. And it's not even their own fault. They're, they're probably, they've got more interesting things in their lives and they care more about, you know, their hobbies and their work and their families. And they're just not, they're just not political nerds paying attention to this stuff. And so they're going to look at these much more human characteristics. And they're just going to look at these two guys and you say, okay, on the one hand, we've got a sick patient. On the other hand, we've got, got a guy who's literally a doctor. I think I'm going to vote for that guy. So there's no, no question, no matter how sad this debate was, uh, a clear win for Dr. Oz. It may or may not affect the, the final outcome because they've, they've had early voting in Pennsylvania since September. But as Doug Mastriano, the governor candidate, pointed out to us yesterday, early voting, mail-in voting is way, way down this year compared to 2020. So overall, I think the Oz campaign has to be very, very happy with the, the outcome of the debate. And I think the Democrats and, and the people who put Fetterman up to this should be absolutely ashamed of themselves. You know, someday all these political problems are going to pass away as far as we're concerned because we're going to die. We're all going to die. No one here gets out alive. That's why you've got to get a will. That's why you got to check out Epic Will. Right now, head on over to epicwill.com slash Knowles. What do you and your family hold dear? Your faith? Church on Sunday? Do you believe in serving other people? Did you give your kids that Fauci ouchie or did you say, I don't think so? How does your family define men and women? What kind of value do they put on life? Your children look to you to define how they view the world, what they hold dear, what they value. But what if you were not there to do that for them? In the event that you die, who will ensure that what you hold dear will be upheld by your kids? Epic Will can help with that. A will lets you determine who will raise your kids in the event that you die before you're done raising them. This is a big deal, and it's a responsibility that you have as a parent. It's why we at The Daily Wire have partnered with Epic Will. Go to epicwill.com. And use promo code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to save 10% on Epic Will's complete will package. And more importantly, so that I know you did it. So that you're accountable to me, okay? EpicWill.com, promo code Knowles. John Fetterman was not the only Democrat candidate who collapsed on stage last night. Kathy Hochul, who is uh, running, who is the governor of New York and running for re-election as governor of New York, uh, she was debating Lee Zeldin, who's doing great. He's the Republican candidate, and, and he's actually, according to certain polls, ahead of her you know, in true blue New York. So uh, there was one huge misstep that Kathy Hochul made last night. I think that Lee Zeldin very smartly kept pressing the crime issue. I spoke yesterday to Doug Mastriano. Mastriano said that in Pennsylvania, the biggest issue is crime. And I think so many people all around the country Forget about abortion, forget about even certain economic issues and immigration. The top issue for a lot of people, especially in the cities, is crime, because crime is spiking and people are fearing for their property and, and fearing for their lives. So the Republicans are hitting this issue, and Kathy Hochul gave the worst answer I could imagine on crime. This governor, who still to this moment, we're at what, we're halfway through the debate, she still hasn't talked about locking up anyone committing any crimes. Okay. Anyone who commits a crime. Under our laws, especially with the change they made to bail, has consequences. I don't know why that's so important to you. I don't know why it's so important to you, Lee. Why? Oh, Lee. Oh, goodness gracious. You're just such a knuckle-dragging idiot. Why is it so important to you that we put the criminals in jail? 
Just let, oh, goodness great. I don't have any criminals storming my mansion. I don't know what's wrong with you, Lee. Goodness gracious. Let's talk about important things, like how we have to chop the genitals off of children. Goodness gracious, Lee. Let's talk about important things, like the need to kill more babies. But no, Lee, you've just got to go on and on about locking up the rapists and the murderers who are running havoc all over New York. Oh, gosh, get a grip, Lee. Can you imagine you're a regular New Yorker listening to this? You're a regular New Yorker. <laughs> and let's say you're in the city. You're in a city that has uh, had difficulties with crime over the years, and you're seeing a spike in crime right now. And your governor, who's asking for your vote, says, oh, forget about the crime. Enough with the crime. It's so dumb. We don't need to put the criminals into prison. Come on. Send a social worker or whatever. Don't move on. How out of touch do you need to be? A huge misstep. Now, she's in a tough position because the Democrats are totally split on this. The base wants to empty the prisons. The base spent the last year talking about how they need to defund the police and abolish prisons. And it wasn't just the fringe extreme activist lunatics. It was sitting members of Congress, some, some of whom are from New York. Okay, it was, it was very prominent Democrat politicians openly calling to defund the police and abolish federal prisons. Okay. So you got that on the base side, but then you've got the normal people who want to do exactly the opposite. They want to increase funding to police. They want to increase funding to the police, and they want to put more criminals into prison because the criminals are wreaking havoc in their communities. So what does Kathy Hochul do? She's trying to split that baby. You can't split that baby. And if she were smart, she would say, "No, listen, we're doing a great job. We're doing a great job of putting criminals into prison. We're going to do an even better job next year and move on." But she can't do that. And it's a major, major win for the Republicans. Just shows you once again how completely out of touch the Democrats are right now with the electorate. So what what are they going to do? They know they're headed for a disaster if it's a fair election. So what are they going to do? This is the greatest irony of all. After spending two years lambasting Republicans, calling us fascists and Nazis and an existential threat to our democracy, for questioning in any way the legitimacy of the 2020 election, the Democrats, the very top Democrats, the most prominent Democrats in the country, are preemptively questioning and outright denying, potentially, the legitimacy of the 2022 and 2024 elections. Hillary, take it away. Hello, Indivisibles. I'm here to highlight something that (laughs) is keeping me up at night. And I know this group really understands what I'm about to say. I know we're all focused on the 2022 midterm elections and they are incredibly important. But we also have to look ahead because you know what? Our opponents certainly are. Right-wing extremists already have a plan to literally steal the next presidential election. And they're not making a secret of it. The right-wing controlled Supreme Court may be poised to rule on giving state legislatures, yes, you heard me that correctly, state legislatures the power to overturn presidential elections. Just think, if that happens, the 2024 presidential election could be decided not by the popular vote, 
or even by the anachronistic electoral college, but by state legislatures. So much there. Most obvious, she's saying that the Republicans are going to steal the election. If the Republicans win, it will be because they stole the election, which is what the Democrats believe. And the Democrats believe this because they believe that they're on the right side of history and they believe that democracy is just synonymous with liberalism. So even though democracy means the will of the people, and sometimes the people vote for your party and sometimes the people vote for the other party, they, they don't view democracy in that way. They, they use the word democracy to really just mean liberalism. And so when liberalism is rejected at the ballot box, that is a knock against democracy, even if the majority of people vote for that. And so she, she is already saying, as the Democrats have said, as Hillary Clinton herself has said for many, many years, if the Republicans win, the election by definition is illegitimate because the people are supposed to vote for the Democrats. The people, if they were not being suppressed and not being misinformed and not having their consciousness lowered, you know, they have to raise their consciousness and raise the awareness. If they were not operating under a false consciousness, if all those things were true, they would vote for the Democrats. They would, because that's obviously the right thing to do. So anytime they don't, it has to be illegitimate by definition. She's already saying that. And then she's going through all the different ways in which it could be illegitimate. And then the little cherry on top of the irony Sunday is that she said, and could you believe the election won't be decided potentially by the popular vote or even the anachronistic electoral college? The, the electoral college, whatever you think of it, is not anachronistic. It is, it's not out of time. The electoral college is the way currently today in the year of our Lord 2022 and for the entire history of our country that presidential elections have been decided. It's not anachronistic. It's the law. It's the constitution. It is the very heart of that particular aspect of our supposedly sacred democracy that the Democrats are always talking about. The popular vote has absolutely nothing to do with the presidential election. Therefore, it's not how the campaigns are conducted. It's not how, it's just not part of it at all. But because the Democrats sometimes have won the popular vote but lost the electoral vote, then they just, they just go for that. So the, even in that language, even in their, their absurd elevation of the popular vote over the actual way the elections are conducted according to our constitution, even there, they are denying the legitimacy of our electoral system. After two years of saying that we are fascist threats to the country, we're the equivalent of murderers, we're the equivalent of terrorists, we need to be completely sidelined for questioning our electoral system. That's the best they've got. Now, if this is going to be a really tough one for the, for the Democrats because not only are the polls looking really, really bad for the Democrats right now. But voter enthusiasm seems relatively high. So usually in the midterms, voter turnout is much lower than in a presidential election year. That's pretty much always the case. It'll probably be the case again, but voter turnout seems to be pretty okay right now, at least according to early metrics. So a reporter asked White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre about this, said, you know, you guys keep talking about voter suppression, but the numbers show that voter turnout is actually looking pretty good right now. What say you, Karine Jean-Pierre? 
The access to voting is being attacked. But doesn't that record turnout show that Georgia voters are finding ways to vote even amid the, with the, the Look, I, Yeah, I'm not going to get into specifics of what Georgia voters are doing. What I am saying is that, uh, you know, generally speaking, again, more broadly speaking, of course, high turnout and voter suppression can take place at, at the same time. Ooh, uh, hold on a second here. I, I don't have a fancy degree in political science. I don't work in the White House or anything like that. But it seems to me that voter suppression means less voting, right? That's vote, voter, it's someone who casts a vote. And suppression means you, you kind of push it down, right? And then high voter turnout is when you get more voting. And what Corrine Jean-Pierre is actually saying with a straight face is that less voting and more voting can happen at the same time. That's what they, that's their final pitch when every other strategy, when every other excuse has run out. That's the, that's the, they can say it's illegitimate. This is voter suppression. It's unfair. And every, every single argument they're making is collapsing, but they've got their story and they're sticking to it. And they don't give one single damn <laughs> to any of the facts, all of the facts that contradict all of it. Why are the people voting for the Republicans? Why are all the polls showing the Republicans way, way up? Whole host of reasons, but one of the big ones right now, economic discontent is at an all-time high in the United States. Not just, wow, this is much worse than it was under Trump. Not just, wow, this is even worse than it was under Obama. All time, ever. This is according to a new survey by NBC News. 71% of registered voters say the nation under Democrat rule is on the wrong track. That is a record high disapproval. Only 20% say the nation is on the right track. 57% disapprove of Biden's handling of the economy. That is another record high. 57 disapprove, 38% approve. 50% say the Democrats' economy will get worse. That is another <laughs> record high. Only 20% believe the economy will improve. So you, you, can't, you can't blame this here on it's a conservative poll that went out. No, it's NBC News. You can't blame it on, well, it's just the wording of the question. They worded the question three different ways. Every single time, it's a record high. At people right now, and people do vote in large part on the economy. People do vote on kitchen table issues. And we are now at record high economic discontent. So the Democrats, they have to answer this. In some way, they've got to answer this in the final two weeks here before the midterm elections. And here is, the, here is the best argument I've heard, the best response from the Democrats. This would be via Pete Buttigieg on the Stephen Colbert Show. It, it can be frustrating politically yeah. uh, when, when you see that sort of stuff go on. But you know, look, this is, this is part of a pattern that we've often seen where uh, many uh, congressional Republicans mm -hmm. take stances that seem to be more about the problem than about the solution. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you look at even the things that they talk about the most often, mm -hmm. uh, immigration, 
Inflation. I mean, name of, of all the things congressional Republicans have proposed policy-wise, can anybody name the top five things that they've suggested to fight inflation? Can anyone name three? How about one? You know, they voted no on the Inflation Reduction Act that was about lowering prices for Americans. And I would have loved nothing more than to have a debate between the Democratic Re Inflation Reduction Act and the Republican Inflation Reduction Act on the House of the Floor and Senate and argued over which one was better. But there was only one and it was ours. And luckily it passed. Well, you couldn't have that debate, Pete, because there was no Democrat Inflation Reduction Act. There was an act called the Inflation Reduction Act, but it did nothing to reduce inflation. And that's not just me as a Republican or a conservative arguing that. That's what the CBO said. The Congressional Budget Office said that the Inflation Reduction Act would not reduce inflation. Bernie Sanders admitted that the Inflation Reduction Act would not reduce inflation. Joe Biden and the Democrats tacitly admitted that because the second that that act passed, they stopped referring to it as an inflation act and they started referring to it as a climate change act because that's what it was really about, was just passing on hundreds and hundreds of uh, billions of dollars in handouts to green energy companies. And then he says, well, you know, the, the Republicans, they haven't offered their solution. They're not, they're not fixing the problem. Democrats have unified government. It's not even like the, the Republicans had to work with the Democrats to get anything done. Democrats had completely unified government. <laughs> so the problem is 100% at your feet and you screwed it up. And you're saying, well, how come the Republicans didn't do more to stop us from screwing it up when they had no political power? <laughs> That's the best answer you've got. And he says, well, they, they have no ideas. They have no ideas. I couldn't name two, one idea, three ideas, five ideas that the Republicans have. Okay, well, here's my first one. Speaking of that bill that you were, that law that you were just naming. Here's one way that you could slow down inflation a little bit. Don't spend $400 billion in taxpayer handouts to Democrat cronies in the green energy industry. Don't waste all that money and frivolously spend that money, which, which causes inflation to rise. Don't do that. That would be the, my first idea. What are some other ideas? I don't know. Let's see, just off the top of my head here. Um, don't forgive, forgive, quote unquote, student loans. Don't just pass out all of that money and cause inflation to ride. What would be some other ideas? I don't know. Maybe stop escalating the war in Ukraine. The war in Ukraine, which is probably the primary driver of inflation and was caused largely by Joe Biden, according to Vladimir Zelensky, who's the president of Ukraine, because Joe Biden took the sanctions off uh, Putin's pipeline and then literally in invited Putin to invade eastern Ukraine and said that if there were only a minor incursion, there would be no serious response from the United States. So that would be one idea. On, on that point, okay, so I got, what is that? That's three ideas. Uh, you could restart American energy production. How about that? Remember, we had great American energy production under Donald Trump. We were energy independent. We were a net exporter under Donald Trump. And then Biden comes in and he kills all the new oil and gas leases and he kills the oil pipelines. And by the way, when you kill one major oil pipeline from the federal government, you're effectively killing all of them for, for the remainder of the administration because the people who are building these pipelines are only going to do it if they've got political support. They're very, very expensive projects. So you could do that. I would, I would, I mean, energy is the biggest driver of inflation right now. So that would be a really good idea. How about, I don't know whether that's for, don't revive the Iran nuclear deal. That would be another good one. Why is Saudi Arabia not playing ball right now with the United States? Why is Saudi Arabia not going to pump out way more oil and try to bring the prices back to something that, that's somewhat reasonable? Well, in large part, it's because the United States gave Saudi Arabia the middle finger when the United States started cozying up to Iran again, because the Democrats have this bizarre obsession 
with putting Iran on the path to a nuclear bomb, which Saudi Arabia will not permit. And so now, now we've lost the Saudis as the, the close ally that we've had for so many years. That's five, there it is. There's your five ideas, Pete. I got Not that any of those are going to go into effect because the Democrats have unified government. They caused the whole problem. And now they're dealing with the consequences of that, which is that the people are absolutely freaking furious. And so now what are the Democrats going to say about that? We've gone, we've gone through every single argument that they've got and every response to it. And then they keep digging themselves into worse and worse trouble. So now, now here is the argument. People who are extremely concerned about record high inflation, which is impoverishing everybody, and it's going to cause people to freeze as the winter approaches. Now the Democrats are saying that if you're worried about inflation, you might as well vote for Hitler. I'm not calling, uh, I'm not going to say that, you know, the GOP are Nazis at this point or whatever, but it certainly sounds very familiar to what happened in Germany, which is a bunch of citizens, Adolf Hitler gets a third of the vote. Nobody thought it could happen there. They kind of went along because they said he was going to solve the economy and fix inflation. Yeah, uh, you can, that's right. You can hear those sorts of things. And then, oh, lo and behold, a few years later, they lost their democracy and they're all like, how'd that happen here? That's my worry. That is my worry. If obviously the price of a hamburger, the price of milk, the, the price of gas is concerning, but what is what the, that is a short-term problem. The loss of a democracy will decimate everyone's freedom. That's it. If you if you are concerned about the record high inflation and the fact that you can't fill up your gas tank or heat your home, uh, you or or pay for groceries or pay for anything because it's causing all the consumer goods to increase. You, you uh, look. I'm not calling you a Nazi, but tacitly I am. Okay, and you s- secretly you would have voted for Hitler. Okay, and you're going to call if you elect Republicans, you're going to cause us to lose our democracy, because whenever the people vote against the the ruling party. Whenever the people want to change in the ruling party from the liberal establishment Democrat ruling class, that's a threat to democracy. By the way, you know the man who said that? That's Matthew Dowd. He is a Democrat, but he formerly was a Republican and not just a regular old Republican strategist. You sometimes see that title on TV, which usually just means unemployed political person. (laughs) Everyone's just a strategist, you know, but this guy actually had a real job. This guy was the chief strategist for the Bush-Cheney 2004 campaign. This guy was a big player. He, he was obviously a court jester conservative. He was obviously one of the squishes whose job it is to pretend to be right-wing to legitimize the dominant liberal regime. But he had that big R next to his name, and he had a pretty big job. And he is now making the same argument that all of the Democrats are making, which is any time you oppose us, you're basically Hitler, and anytime the Republicans win, it's, it's, it's a threat to democracy. <laughs> anytime we let the people vote for the people they want, it's, it's a threat to democracy. By the way, just a side point. I would like to call for a complete moratorium on Nazi comparisons. I, I am calling for a complete and total shutdown on all Nazi comparisons until we figure out what the hell is going on. There, it's, so, it's so frustrating. And it, it's, it, it's not frustrating because, you know, World War II is, is incomparable or anything like that. It's frustrating because what 
when, when I hear people make Nazi comparisons, what that says to me is that that person has no other historical frame of reference. So very often, I think, people make the Nazi comparisons because they just don't know what else to compare something to. The, the, the second version of this is the fall of Rome, which is much more acceptable. But, you know, there, there were other wars. There have been other wars throughout history, folks. Okay, there have been other battles. There, how about, uh, I don't know, the Battle of Waterloo. Comparison, how about the, make some comparisons to the Napoleonic Wars, at least. How about that? Is that okay? How about the, the French and Indian War? That would be a good one. Let's compare things to the French and Indian War. Or, I don't know, Alexander the Great's campaigns. Or the, uh, you know, wars against Carthage. I don't know. Or the Peloponnesian War. Anything, anything other than just making everything about Hitler. Okay, it's not, not, every, not, not every person that you don't like is Hitler. Okay? And it, but, but because Hitler is, forget about the Second World War itself. Hitler just is the symbol of the absolute incarnation of evil. And so when, when what the Democrats are doing here is they're saying anyone who opposes us is the absolute perfect incarnation of evil that must be opposed at all costs, regardless of the law, regardless of justice, regardless of anything. And speaking of these Hitler comparisons, because look, I don't mean to be too hard on people who make, who have made Hitler comparisons. Everyone's done it at some point, but the, the, there was a recent example of this that shows you just how disingenuous the whole debate is. Susan Sarandon just posted something to social media comparing her opponents to Hitler. Susan Sarandon is a very far left-wing actress. Susan Sarandon said it didn't start with the gas chambers. It started with one party controlling the media, one party controlling the message, one party deciding what is truth, one party censoring speech and silencing opposition, one party dividing citizens into us and them and calling on their supporters to harass them. It started when good people turned a blind eye and let that happen. Now, it's interesting. When I read that, if I saw someone post that today, I would assume they were talking about the Democrats, who the, the liberals obviously control the media and the government and all the rest of it, and they censor people. And so, but, but Susan Sarandon's so far left-wing, I, I don't think that's what, but who knows, right? Anyway, Susan Sarandon's a very left-wing actress. Now, Susan Sarandon will just go about her life. Normally, nothing will happen as a result of this post. Gina Carano, our friend Gina Carano, lost her job and nearly lost her entire career for making pretty much the same post. Gina Carano posted, Jews were beaten in the streets, not by Nazi soldiers, but by their neighbors, even by children, because history is edited. Most people today don't realize that to get to the point where Nazi soldiers could easily round up thousands of Jews, the government first made their own neighbors hate them simply for being Jews. How's that any different from hating someone for their political views? So it's virtually the same exact post. And Gina Carano, very implausibly, was called an anti-Semite. It seems like completely the opposite of the sort of sentiment she was expressing. But it was the same post as Susan Sarandon. So why does Gina Carano, who is a little more right-wing, almost lose her career for this? And Susan Sarandon, who is very left-wing, nothing happens to her. It's just a reminder that our rulers, they, they don't care about anti-Semitism or racism or any of the lines that they use. The, the libs have exhibited much more anti-Semitism than anybody on the right, including sitting members of Congress, including Ilhan Omar, to use just one example, including Louis Farrakhan visiting the Congressional Black Caucus, Barack Obama taking a smiling picture with him, Louis Farrakhan calling the Jews the synagogue of Satan, 
and, and many other lurid things. It, I, I, the list goes on and on and on and on. Much worse than anything any mainstream person on the right has ever said. It doesn't matter. Forget about the racism. The racism you see from the left, obviously so much worse than anything you've ever seen anywhere in the mainstream right. Our rulers don't care about those things for themselves. Our, Our ruling class uses those concepts as an excuse to destroy people that they already don't like and have already decided to destroy. They use it because it is convenient to silence dissenters, which is why they're not going to silence the liberals who basically go along with their agenda. They're always going to use it to silence the right-wingers. You know, it's been a very, very busy month over here at The Daily Wire. We released The Greatest Lie Ever Sold, which is a new documentary that buries BLM. We held a rally to end child mutilation at the Tennessee State Capitol. And we are hours away from another exciting event, Daily Wire Backstage. You can join me. Ben Shapiro, Matt Walsh, Andrew Clayton, and the God King Jeremy Boring. Tonight, 6 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Eastern, we'll be talking midterms, leftist meltdowns, and a whole lot more. It is a backstage you do not want to miss, so tune in tonight, dailywireplus.com. Here's a great example of the libs disingenuously (laughs) uh, silencing victims. Weeks after Alex Jones was ordered by a judge to pay about $1 billion to the family of the Sandy Hook shooting victims, Bloomberg News is reporting that the Sandy Hook families have have now demanded $2.75 trillion, an additional $2.75 trillion dollars not all that far off from the GDP of the United States. I mean, it's still, it's still a ways to go. But, you know, in re- if you go back just a few decades, you're, you're pretty much there. Uh, and they've done this by uh, taking the maximum penalty allowed under state law, $5,000, multiplying it by the 550 million social media views that Alex Jones got on his social media accounts in the three years following the, the Sandy Hook school shooting. And now they're demanding upwards of $3 trillion from a radio host for, say, for getting a story wrong on air and, and, even, and saying, let's say they're saying mean things, terrible things, the worst things you could possibly say, $3 trillion for saying that on the radio. Does that seem a little disproportionate when I think of the sort of things that the Democrats have said in public? when the Democrats have called for physical, when, when mainstream Democrats have called for physical violence against Republicans in public, when Maxine Waters says, when you see Republicans in public, push back on them, say you're not welcome here, chasing them out of restaurants. When Maxine Waters says, go to Republicans' homes, shout outside where their children sleep, shout outside their homes. When, when Chuck Schumer says, we're coming for you, Brett Kavanaugh, we're coming for you, Gorsuch, we're going to unleash the whirlwind on you. And then what ha- lo and behold, what happens? Some left, left-wing lunatic goes in and tries to murder Justice Kavanaugh and gets pretty close, actually, before the U.S. Marshals were able to stop him. When some left-wing lunatic goes in and shoots up the congressional baseball game to kill the Republicans, almost kills Steve, Steve Scalise. And you hear nothing. You're nothing from the Democrats. When, when Hillary Clinton says you can't be civil with Republicans, 
None of that, they're, they're not going to pay $3 trillion to say nothing of what the, the pundits or whatever say on the air. They're not going to pay $3 trillion. And who knows where the, the $2.75 trillion lawsuit is going to go. Alex Jones was already ordered to pay a billion dollars. You think any, for what? For getting a story wrong on air. That's basically what, you could say, well, he got it egregiously wrong. He, it was the worst way you could possibly get a story wrong. Yeah, sure, whatever. But the, the actual category of, of transgression that Alex Jones committed is he got a story wrong on air. You're telling me that the punishment for that should be $1 billion? Or I'm sorry, $2.75 trillion? Doesn't that seem a little disproportionate to you? Especially when the libs would never pay one red cent for doing far more egregious things? No, it's obviously not about the transgression. It's simply about punishing dissidents. The libs hate Alex Jones. They want to silence him. They will use whatever excuse they can to do it. And they will come down on him with as much crushing weight as they can possibly wield, up to and including three trillion bucks. Speaking of the courts, there's, there's some good news that's come out of the courts, r- incredible news actually, that came out of the courts yesterday in New York. A New York judge has ruled that the city must reinstate the fired city workers with back pay who lost their jobs because they refused to take the Fauci ouchie. And here's why. Here's the, the best part is the reason why the court has come to this finding. The court found that, quote, being vaccinated does not prevent an individual from contracting or transmitting COVID-19. They added that vaccinated and unvaccinated individuals have the same quarantine and isolation guidelines issued by the CDC. That's why. And there were, at the time, we were all told by the, by the libs and the squishes, we were told you have to get the vaccine, come on. Maybe we don't support the mandates, but you should all get it. Now we find actually the vaccines don't do what they said, what we were told that they would do, and they do a lot of things that we were told they wouldn't do. Furthermore, the judge goes on, the vaccine mandate for city employees was not just about safety and public health, it was about compliance. If it was about safety and public health, unvaccinated workers would have been placed on leave the moment the order was issued. Great point. It was not, but instead the workers were pressured, pressured, still come to your job, but pressured, get it, get it, get it. If it were about a health emergency, There's no way that would have happened. If it were about a health emergency, they would have said, go home, wear a hazmat suit, get out of here. How many workers lost their jobs because of this? People have written into this show a lot and lost their jobs because of it. I'm, I'm very fortunate. I work at a company that not only did not have a vaccine mandate, but that sued the Biden administration to stop the vaccine mandate. Because what were we gonna do? We had meetings. What were we gonna do if we lost that lawsuit? Well, one, we were all going to get audited to the hilt. <laughs> we were all going to become, we might still, but we were all going to become major targets of the federal government. But two, even if that's still probably going to happen, two, what were we going to do? They, the, the federal government could have come in and bankrupted the company pretty quickly, actually. So we fought it. We didn't have to do it. Same cannot be said for a ton of other companies and certainly city workers. Eric Adams fired 2,000, just about 2,000 city workers, including cops, including firefighters who refused to comply with the COVID vaccination mandate. Now, the court, the court is ordering him to reinstate them with back pay, which is absolutely right and just. Will he do it? Remains to be seen. Will the city appeal? Almost certainly. 
This is probably a little soft consolation to the workers who lost their jobs. They've been out of work for a year. And so it's a reminder as well, looking forward into the future. The next time we're told by the entire establishment, this is fact, this is science, you have to do it. This is coercion. Do it now, do it now. You'll lose everything. Do it now, do it now. If you, if you can hold firm, if you can have a little bit of courage, keep the, the, you, you may see justice. All hope is not lost. You may see justice. We are still in this fight. The Democrats are running scared though. They're, they're not omnipotent. They can feel their grasp on power weakening. Just a little, now, is it gonna, is, are they going to lose that grasp entirely tomorrow or two weeks from now? Probably not. But they can feel it weakening. And, and the truth is on our side. And the people are seeing that. They're seeing it more and more each day as we approach those midterm elections. Now, unbelievably, unbelievably, seems that I have some critics. I reacted to some woke TikTokers uh, nonsense about religion. He appears to have reacted to my reaction. And so in a full sort of inception, I will be critiquing his critique of my critique of his nonsense. Because this, of course, is Woke Wednesday. The rest of the show continues now. You don't want to miss it. If you're not a member, click the link in the description and join us.